And a one and a two and a one, two, three, four, five. We are live. It is industry talk. It is House of Strauss, joined as always by the great Ryan Glassspiegel. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Where were you the moment that the um, Johnny Depp Amber Heard <laughs> verdict came in? Ooh, this gives me a little chance to uh, humble brag. I was on my I was on my porch. I was on my porch. That's right. I'm a man of fine taste on a with a porch with a porch where I can just I can really take it all in, Ryan. I can look at the trees. I can feel the wind. I can contemplate what it all means about society and truly absorb it. And I will remember it for the rest of my life. Like it's the JFK assassination. It's that big a deal. <laughs> um, this is weird. Do we have three callers already or do we not have what the, I'm, I'm, is, I'm is struggling with situation interface today. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, we can figure it out. We can see about it. We should, uh, Hey, you know, to set the table, uh, we've got a lot of takes leading into the NBA Finals, so that's going on. It seems very Warriors-focused, uh, not so much Celtics-focused, which is odd because the Celtics are just such a factor, Boston such a factor uh, in ESPN's supposed biases, uh, so that's kind of interesting. We've got, I, I am just completely um, entranced, hypnotized by the local manager uh, of the San Francisco Giants, Gabe Kapler, uh, you know, the precipitating incident that's causing some Gabe Kapler flakiness uh, is very grim, and I don't think we're going to get all into that, but we might talk about the Kapler situation, but yes, Yes, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, Ryan. Um, what? How would you rank your level of knowledge on this trial uh, on, a, on a scale of one to ten? Uh, three and a half. I did not follow it as it was going. When I found out we had to talk about it, I tried to cram. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I mean, I, I've got the basics. I, I know Johnny Depp won. I'm aware of that. Uh, I formulated a take, though. I did formulate a take. I, I okay. knew I needed to come with a take. I did formulate a take just based on the other takes, because that's what you can do sometimes. I saw some um, some journalists, some journalos out there reacting uh, what this will make people think they can do in society. Now men will think that they can do this and defame their partner and yada, yada, yada. My take on those takes is this is why people don't trust you. The inclination to bring baggage to these uh, news stories, to worry about what the public will think or not think in response to the news story, as opposed to just giving us the objective take on uh, who's right or who's wrong. I think as silly as this, I mean, it's not silly, but just the fact that it's celebrity and everything else, it's not exactly the most central of news stories. But even in this, you can see the rot of American journalism and why the obsession with narrative in the social media era uh, is such a corrupting factor when it just comes to calling balls and strikes. There you go. That's my take. Boom. It, it did seem that her claims were um, not credible. And it, it's like there's a whole other factor that, like, the ACLU ghost wrote this op-ed in the Washington Post. And so now that, like, Heard is liable for defamation. What does it say about those two actors in this drama? Um, <laughs> that's, I think, unknowable from our standpoint because we are not um, defamation lawyers or yeah. whatever. But um, it, oh, it's fascinating it, it that, like, if, if the Washington Post curried 
a defamatory story, do they have any liability at all? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we might be Jewish, but we are not lawyers, Ryan. We don't know. It's uh, it's not, it's not, it's not in our expertise. But you know, the the ACLU involvement certainly speaks poorly of them, and it speaks to how they went from a principled institution to a grift. Uh, and one that is uh, courting celebrity um, and publicity in order to keep the money spigot turned on and has really lost its way. I mean, we would have known that without this, but it's yet yeah. more evidence. So there you go. But OK, let's take a question. I mean, I don't know how we got so many callers, but we'll see. We'll see what the deal is with that. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, I believe Jeff would be a first time caller. Hmm. I suspect I think some of these callers mean to be listeners. I do. Yeah, I do. You know, I do think that. Okay, well, Jeff, we are going to boot you from the queue. Don't take it personal. We just don't know who's a caller. It's like a zombie movie. We don't know. You know, we don't know who's who. We don't know what's what. We got to proceed with a little bit of caution. Uh, it, it is it is what it is. I mean, maybe you could see, say the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing is almost the epitaph to the Me Too movement. That was the current thing of, I believe, was it 2018, was it? And, you know, it's just, I guess, I guess if you are doing the journalist thing and trying to bring all the social baggage and whatnot, it's just a reminder that all people lie. All people lie for advantage from any which way. And, uh, you know, it, it, that's a thing that can happen. Yeah, um, Kelly Jane Torrance, who's the op-ed editor of the New York Post, wrote an interesting piece that I recommend our listeners check out. Um, some, some, somewhat along those lines of, um, you know, you, it, it, you can't just believe blanket believe everybody. We're not the two of us are not no. saying that um, sexual assault and um, physical assault and domestic assault don't happen. I want to make it very clear that that's not <laughs> that would be a saying. that would be a crazy thing to proclaim on the call. in that would be <laughs> it just it does not exist. It's not a thing. But continue. But no, I'm not just saying it because I work with her, even though I haven't really met her, um, and that she like retweeted that we were going to be doing this call. And I do think it was like a very insightful op-ed um, mm. that I would recommend checking out, just in terms of like framing it as. I think this does close the book on some of, I think her word was excesses of the Me Too Mm. movement. Yeah. Well, it seems like when there's a current thing, people are afraid to be skeptical. They're afraid to ask questions. It's why I really don't like the current things as they happen. Um, That animal fear kicks in. You can feel the hive mind pulsating and It's again, I know I've made this complaint before, but the idea that so many journalists have stigmatized asking questions as just asking questions, um, you should ask questions. Asking questions is good. It's not good to just go along with what everybody is saying and, you know, just go along with whatever the vibe is. You should be trying to figure out what happens because otherwise there are miscarriages of justice. There are mistakes. And sometimes there are huge defamation lawsuits that completely crush journalistic institutions. Uh, The Rolling Stone uh, frat rape issue or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, with Um, University of Virginia. Yeah, that, you know, that did tremendous, uh, tremendous damage to that institution. um, And it was completely absurd. And this is what happens when people are afraid 
if they ask a question, they're going to be filed as the bad team and they're going to be run out of the social circle. And unfortunately, I mean, maybe the lesson will be learned on this particular issue in this narrow way. But I, I do suspect, Ryan, that this is just going to this is just going to happen again and again and again. I don't even see when it when it starts burning out, when um, there is a mob mentality and there's a lot of emotional fervor, uh, when we will learn the lesson that it's OK to maybe ask a few questions. Yeah, you know, you know it's happened a million times. Duke lacrosse is like another example where media. Um, the the kind of the oppressor class was immediately suspected as having been guilty. And then the story fell apart. And, you know, it's important that we treat every individual story on its own merits. And to your point, ask questions. You can't just accept accusations uncritically. I don't think we want to live in a society where, the accused does not have the right to defend himself. Yeah. And I think that would be a very hard thing to argue against. And yet there is this sense. It's a very odd thing that the metaphorical truth is more important than the truth. Truth that we have a sense of what the world is and what people need to know it is. And the hierarchy of concerns, I don't even know how to pronounce that word correctly, but the order of concerns people need to have, and anything that confounds that uh, is a threat and must be suppressed. And that metaphorical truth just takes precedent above all. And I think it has something to do with just having this digital community, right? That's not girded in reality, And so it seems like you should be, you and your friend should be just able to invent what reality is. And um, it's very threatening, I guess, if that seems like it can be altered in any way, as opposed to just, again, trusting people, trusting the public to make determinations, um, reporting individual stories to the utmost accuracy. I know the media was always biased, but it just seems like Nowadays, in this particular era, there is more of a sense of narrative protection and seeing the um, and seeing the narrative in every story that crosses the transom. Yeah, um, this is a, a pretty hard pivot, but I mean, like, it, it's odd to frame it this way. But what a winning gamble by Depp to <laughs> pursue this case and open himself up to discovery, because like, if he was guilty. It would have really, I mean, I Mm. I know he's like a world-class actor and in some ways this was like her acting versus his acting on display and his um, one out. But the, like, you know, this like op-ed really, like he hasn't been in movies lately. It it had completely, it was accepted as like he was convicted in the court of, public opinion when this first came out and it's hard for us to put ourselves in that mindset now that he won so declaratively mm. but um you know now all of a sudden it's not only that he like magically can work again because of how much publicity this got and because of how handily he won it's immediately going to vault him into like right in the conversation of biggest movie star in the world again well it is a good point. I know that he didn't exactly come off great from the discovery, um, but it's a good point in that actors, from what I have heard, 
you know, reading about why they're so weird and how they signal politically. We remember uh, all the actors doing the Imagine rendition. Was it in black and white? Um, it was very <laughs> cringe. It was, was it a racial justice thing? Was it a pandemic thing? Was it both? I can't even remember. I, I the... just remember that it was cringe. I don't even remember what the current thing it was advocating. Yeah, for I don't even, rem- I don't even remember which current thing it was. But one of the reasons is they are in a weird way, very helpless. They're so famous. They they have such cultural power, but they are at the whim of these producers and this whole kind of shadow industry that we don't see that in many instances, unless you're top of the food chain, uh, you can just be replaced by somebody else. And so that's one of the reasons why I think they're quite fearful to say anything other than what is the current thing and what is socially acceptable, because um, they are they're quite they're quite replaceable. So to what you're saying, yes, it is a big risk for an actor to further taint themselves in the public eye, I think, because um, maybe Johnny Depp is a little bit different, but he hasn't been in movies. It, it might have been a death knell for him. It might have been. Can, it. can they make a Pirates of the Caribbean by this time next year? Because if they can, it's going to shatter the Memorial Day record that Top Gun just set. You, you think? Oh, I don't know. That's going to be that's going to be a whole conversation uh, if if that happens, if they can do that again. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure some agent is cooking it up. And uh, yeah, I mean, they got to get something working. I mean, were you surprised that Top Gun was such a huge, gigantic hit? Do you derive anything from that? I know this isn't in the sports realm, but it's... Uh, no, I mean, well, I, so I didn't see it. I haven't seen the first one, and I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, because we're both Scientologists, just so everybody knows. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> they um just I mean, his movies are always box office. It's just like um the and you know, it this came out at like the right time to have something that's just like hot action that isn't trying to send a bigger message. Um you know, the 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 movies have like not been marketed for Americans over the last, you know, decade or whatever, other than maybe like one or two comic book movies a year. And even those are made with like the overseas box office in mind. This was something that was like made by Americans for Americans. And lo and behold, Americans responded by leaving their house, going to the movie theaters, which we were told they would never do again. And, you know, just I it's hard to know with what like a real record is with like this inflation, because, you know, money's worth 25 percent less than it was even two years ago. But um, nonetheless, I'm not surprised that it did enormous numbers. Yeah, I think there is a jingoism market inefficiency because that is not the outlook of Hollywood movie makers. I don't think American Sniper was exactly rah-rah. It seemed to be a fairly morbid story in in many ways, but that did just huge box office numbers because I think it was a Clint Eastwood product and it was kind of a red statey product. And you see Yellowstone, the TV show, is maybe the most watched TV show, even though it's on a channel I've never heard of and can't even remember. And I frankly don't even think it's good. I've seen a few episodes. That's just my take. Um, Most of these shows aren't that good. I'm going to alienate some more listeners, but you know, I I heard about Breaking Bad for a number of years. That show, not good. 
so stylized though breaking bad so stylized it's got some good scenes i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna rip breaking bad on this on this episode (laughs) but i look all i'm saying is it seems like the people who make tv and movies don't want these people's money and they could just easily have it and that is one of the fascinating upshots of our era yeah daily wire has like a movie coming out with gina carano who got like you know um red stated out of the mandalorian movies by disney and if this movie was in theaters it would do enormous numbers um but they're like just releasing it by like pay-per-view streaming um i don't know if they are ever going to be able to get distribution in movie theaters just because of the way the hollywood like business system is set up but I would bet on their success in making movies appealing to these people that we've been talking about are getting ignored. It's crazy. There's just a bundle of money on the sidewalk and you could just bend down and grab it with both arms. And it reminds me of uh, Neil Brennan was saying this and this is been this has changed this was a decade ago he was he was saying that there's a huge market of black moviegoers and tv watchers that at that time wasn't being served because the people who make tv shows they want to make mad men they want to talk about what they made at the cocktail party right and that drives a lot of what ends up getting made even though you would think it's just simple economics but i think that is like I'm saying, an artifact of our age that the financial incentive is overtaken by the social incentive in the social media era. Do we want to take a caller again? Let's try. Do we want to try it? Let's try it. Let's see about it. Let's see if Ben is a listener or a caller. Is he a cowboy or a nerd in the dichotomy? I'm very interested to hear what Ikeo sounds like. He is a long-time follower of both of us. Yeah, on, on, on the old Twitter. I think Ben... Who I've called. Yo. There we Hello. go. Hey, uh, you... I did not think I was signing up to call. That's funny. I've definitely called before. Well, we've uh, got, I know, you know, that's why we figured that maybe you were the man for this. And uh, I think there's a glitch with the new update. Uh, but, you know, I'll put you on the spot. Can you formulate a take or a question now that you have unexpectedly been called up to the floor? <laughs> Say something uh, funny. No. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, back when you were at the uh, athletic, I guess that's really not back in the day. Back in the Ooh, day was like pre-athletic. Back in the day would be the Warriors world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's a deep cut. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, back in the day when you were taking voicemails, I would often ca- call in and do an accent. Uh, I guess I'm ruining it. I should just do an accent if that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> What's the accent going to uh, be? I did Italian. I did Yiddish. Oh, yes, I remember that. That was you. Oh, my God. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, that is back in the day. I miss I miss Jade, uh, who would uh, indulge such tomfoolery. <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll kick you out of here, Ben. It's hard. It's hard when you're just called upon to get yeah. out of nowhere. You know, I'll come. We'll, I'll come next time with a with a with a pre prepared. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll try to steer this ship despite the glitch and uh do as we can okay let's make a pivot to gabe kapler um that was an interesting media situation uh ryan um i i guess i will do the the expository on it obviously there was the awful thing that shall not be named in texas last week uh you know interestingly enough i think ben smith had ben smith wrote something about how 
there was evidence that people did not want to read about that awful thing that happened. Um, and did not want to click on it, which I think is another instance. Uh, of... I, I would dispute that evidence from my reading of traffic. Uh, okay. Well, there you go. Well, regardless, I mean, I don't want to glibly just view that thing as, you know, we, we talked about it at length last. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, anybody yeah, is yeah. wandering into we this don't, and didn't we, hear we, it, we're yes. going to mostly avoid it today, just because. Um, yeah, because we—that's what we feel like doing. But um, so anyway, because of that thing, he announced that he was not coming out or standing for the national anthem, and he wrote about it on his lifestyle blog. The uh, former. National League Manager of the Year of the San Francisco Giants um, and uh, announced it. And I have to say, um, after reading his announcement of it, uh, which we'll, we'll get into, um, you kind of can see it from his perspective, but at the same time, it reeks of, of narcissism. But then later on, he did another blog post saying that he was now uh, donating to certain causes uh, against gun violence, but he was standing for Memorial Day. So this has been he a saga run. His protest. He is pausing his protest after starting his protest, the manager of the San Francisco Giants. Now, I will outline a few aspects of my interest here. Um, number one, uh, much as one might want to dismiss this guy as an idiot, he seems like a really good manager. I mean, I don't know much about baseball, but it seems like he's very smart um and good at his job so there's there's that uh number two it's happened in the warm cocoon of the bay area media that doesn't ask any hard questions uh when this sort of thing happens as long as it's pro narrative and it's all seals clapping and applause um and so i think that creates interesting social incentives and then number three i think we're on I, I went down the rabbit hole of the guy's lifestyle blog. I mean, what, a, what an odd lifestyle blog the guy has. Uh, there, I, I found myself reading about ways to lose weight because at one point, Gabe Kapler had 3% body fat and was absolutely ripped. So whatever you think of his politics, it seems like he knows a thing or two about that. And he has all these uh, tips about What how was his best tip? Well, he doesn't do any cardio, which I found interesting. I figured he did a lot of cardio. He said he he stopped doing cardio and it's like a humble brag, like nothing I love more than like a, you know, a, a big uphill run, you know, really gets the blood pumping. But it's just not the way to get cut, folks. It's just not the way. Um, and he he outlines why he doesn't why he doesn't run. I, I have been told that there's a take on, um, frankly, using coconut oil to jerk off. I, I can't believe that's a sentence I said. I have not read that yet. I will you know, report back. Oh to you. man, that, that save that for next week. We that, to keep the people coming back. Yeah. And so that's the third topic of interest of mine. Then the fourth Gabe Kapler topic of interest for me, I think he's an archetype. I would call him the woke Chad, uh, where <laughs> I think a lot of conservatives console themselves in this idea that the only people opposing them are these beta males and these failures. And that's why their opinions suck. Where, Kapler uh, is the only guy on the 2000-2004 Boston Red Sox uh, who self-ID'd as, uh, as Democrat. They all, all the others were Republican. He self-ID'd as, as a Democrat. And, um, you know, I think that, like actors, athletes want to be with the current thing, and they just want people to love them. And so you see a lot of this. You see a lot of guys, highly masculine, very accomplished, 
who are saying all the things that are popular in the media. I'm not saying that that Kapler's falsifying his preferences, uh, I, but I'm just saying that that's something you see. So that's an archetype that I think exists that nobody talks about. Um, and I probably could just keep on going, Ryan, but I've given you four things. Uh, do you have anything to add to it? So I'll add that, I mean, I just wrote a pretty boilerplate story when he first said that he was going to protest the anthem. Would it have been my choice to write about it? No. Was it assigned? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, look, I, I have very talented editors and they know what people want to look at. So even if something isn't like my personal preference to cover, because um, I feel like Groundhog Day with some of these national mm. anthem stories at this point. So I've been yep. doing them since 2016 or whatever. But um, like the anyways, no, no one cares about me. But oh. I got um, more emails from readers over this story than definitely any other story that I've done in, I don't know, seven or eight months at the post. I mean, it's like probably like eight or ten all of them, like, very anti-Kapler, very oh, anti-people kneeling for the he anthem. He had over a thousand comments on his blog post, many vitriolically negative, but continue. So the, this this is an issue that breaks down, I think, mostly generationally. Um, mm. For me, I don't have any issue with people having any type of nonviolent protests. Like if you want to kneel for the anthem, I think I disagree with you because I'm somebody who I think this country is given a lot of great opportunity and privilege to. And I don't believe that that would have happened in many other places in the world. And so I, I think I am more like patriotic than somebody who's inclined to protest the anthem, but it doesn't bother me when people do it. The people it bothers are the people, I think mostly not necessarily people who fought in world war two at this point, because um, very sadly, there aren't so many of them left, but their kids um, feel a lot of pride that their parents really fought off true evil and the Nazis and Japan in World War II. And they feel that protesting uh, the national anthem is disrespectful of that sacrifice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a few different thoughts on it. I don't viscerally care, but I do have a suspicion that there is an entropic nature to people disavowing the country. I think it's hard to take care of something that you think is bad. It's hard to improve. I mean, the criticism is warranted, but if you think something is fundamentally flawed, rotten to its core, um, I this is the dumbest analogy, but I used to have, I used to drive a 97 Ford uh, Escort station wagon that had been through some bumps and bruises, and I just treated that car like shit. I didn't think it was very good, and so I just left things all over the floor. Um, there's just less, there's less of a tendency to treat something well when you think uh, that you aren't the inheritor of something great. And so I recognize that there is a danger to more people bailing on the concept of the country. At the same time, I don't viscerally care. Um, I do think the narcissism wrinkles people because the way he framed it was 
that he just didn't feel, you know, that I, the country basically wasn't living up to his expectations. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact phraseology of it, but there was a lot of, he said that like his parents told you that when he, when you think that the, his dad taught him that when you think the country is like operating well, you stand for the anthem. When you think that it is not, um, then you don't. And he went through, you know, we are the only civilized country in the world that has these mass shootings and we have to figure that out we spoke about that a week ago and we could yep. speak about it for hours uh, obviously that is true there is a little bit of like an underrating of our good qualities among these people it would be nice for the people who point something like that out to occasionally point out some of the good things uh, as well. And I didn't get that. And there is this sense. I do think there is this reaction of, I'm sorry, we're not living up to your expectations. You know, I'm sorry. Like we as a country, Gabe, I'm people sorry don't want to not... hear this from multimillionaires, <laughs> no. though, who are no. like literally the biggest recipients of like the best opportunity that this nation offers because yeah. like there's no scenario anywhere else in the world where he could be this successful of a baseball manager, you know? No, no. it's something that people understandably uh, get pissed off by uh, when uh, the biggest the most privileged people bemoaning yes. like the, the, um, the state of the nation. And I do think that maybe the pride of nation is more girding to people often who have less than to something, someone like himself who might not feel like he needs it, but maybe other people need that uh, to get through the day or whatever, or to feel connected to something. So I, I looked at that as the, the way it's framed. It is a bit of performative narcissism, even if his beliefs are, uh, truly held. Um, and it didn't surprise me that it, A, pissed people off, and B, that there was a total absence of anybody even saying, well, on the other hand, or critiquing or criticizing. I saw Steve Kerr getting asked if he was happy he finally had an ally in this fight. And um, there's this other aspect to it. I'm not saying the guy is full of shit. I do believe he believes what he believes or says he believes. Um, but he was in a scandal. Uh, when he came to the Giants about covering up or helping to cover up uh, a sexual assault in the uh, Dodgers, I think, minor league system. And he was getting grilled by the barrier journalists when he came to the Giants over this. And they were so it's like similar to a Billups situation in Portland in in some regards. Yeah. Billups was the one who not accused of covering up, accused of doing it. But yeah. Yeah, with a similar tone and tenor. And it's hard to ignore that he's he's kind of rubbing the correct erogenous zones of this media culture and getting very favorable coverage. And it would be difficult not to respond to such incentives. If you came in to a situation getting criticized at scale in a way that you'd never been before, and it really makes a psychological impact when that happens, and then you discover there's a way to channel some of your true beliefs in a way that's going to give you the opposite sort of coverage, it would be hard not to keep returning to that well. So I think there's an aspect of that uh, in addition, because it's not like he just did this quietly. This was done for all to see um, and for all to applaud, at least locally. Yeah, and they they knelt for the anthem in 2020. So he he's like revisiting this from before. Playing the hits. 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, I think there's an aspect of that. You know, I don't I and I don't think I think it goes too far sometimes when people posit that it's purely fake or it's purely false, as many in those comments certainly were. I don't think many people wake up and look in the mirror and go, I'm a big phony. I'm about to do something fake. I don't know. I mean, maybe there are some Yeah, it's like, oh, that. yeah, look at me perform my disgust with kids getting massacred yeah. um, so that people can pay attention to me. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, even if that's happening, nobody's consciously thinking that, right? But... Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a very. I am following. I am keyed in on the Gabe Kapler situation. Is what I'm saying, folks. It's. Uh, I'm gonna read about the coconut oil and the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try to pick up more tips. The dieting, uh, you know, the dieting aspects. I'm very intrigued by. But Gabe Kapler is a character in the uh, Bay Area sports media ecosystem. Um, he, he has my attention, folks. You know, he's somebody I'm going to be tracking because there's something about the uh, the flakiness, the woo-woo-ness, the uh, courting of the media. Um, the, the Giants are such a good organization, by the way. Like, just like a total aside. Like no, the, let's talk um, the, the They've got several like championships in the in the last twenty years, and it like doesn't matter kind of like which players come and go. They keep replenishing them and succeeding. Well, and they're more than that. They've got this weird, pretentious error about them. Uh, they're classy. The Giants are. They've got this. They've got the ballpark, not a stadium. I almost said stadium. No, that's a ballpark. <laughs> you watch the water when you're there. I've, I've been told by other media members that it's just, you can almost hear the Mozart when you walk into the clubhouse. Everything is so pristine. There are so many rules. And I've covered A's games, and it is, you feel like you're covering high school sports. It is, it is a very different vibe. Um, <laughs> very depressing. But the Giants are, they are a product that I think is differentiated in the Bay Area. Um, and, uh, oh, is Mike Pesca maybe calling in? I want Mike Pesca. If Mike Pesca is in on this, I know we're glitching a little bit, but you know, I know Pesca's got some takes. I saw him pop up there in the queue of people. So Pesca, if you're out here, maybe would like to get some takes, but yeah, the Giants are a very differentiated thing in the Bay area. I know people might from the outside think there's no difference between them and the Warriors in terms of how they're related to or covered, but it's also the Bay area newspaper system uh it's older it trends a little boomer and they've always had this love and admiration and thought of the giants as top of the top and have adjusted to the warriors being this massive franchise but the giants that's the pinnacle that's the cadillac and so they are they are covered in such a way is what i'm saying <laughs> do we want to pivot across the Bay Area to your beloved Golden State Warriors? My Warriors. Yeah, my beloved Warriors. Uh, yes, I, I'm down to do that. Um, I, I've i been, you know, it seems like it's been a very good week for the NBA. Um, it's great to have the Warriors back. I don't necessarily think enough of the conversation has been about the Celtics going into this uh, because they could be quite formidable. A lot of the conversation on ESPN has been about Steph Curry and finals MVP. And I've just been will, watching Will it, it hurt his legacy if he loses so this series? It's like maybe have that conversation when the Warriors win the, the series. You've got a long way to 
go here. You don't need to be talking about it. And this. it's not like it's it's not like if they lose this series, he's going to like you know get executed by firing line and never no. have a chance to redeem himself. Like I, <laughs> it's look, it's clearly a thing. I mean. Okay, so this is another meta media thing, and we're taking up a lot of airspace right now because we don't even know how to take calls with the glitch. So we're sort of we're sort of just going off on our tangents. Forgive us, but I think that it speaks to this thing that would piss Kevin Durant off, which is that we, the media, with our criticisms, make them want things that they didn't even want or wouldn't have wanted organically. That was something that maybe not in those exact words, but that's something that Kevin Durant who we could also discuss a bit would grouse about all the time that he wanted to just, you know, experience this platonic ideal where he gets to just be a teammate on the warriors and we're making him want things by giving credit to somebody else or talking about how he should feel this way or that way. That's Steph. Steph, I don't think organically cared about winning finals MVP, but he for damn sure cares now. Because it's all he's heard for the longest time. So yeah, it's it's a thing. It's the last thing that he would need to check off his list. It's definitely a subplot. But I think it's an error by the ESPN take shows uh, to make that the primary thing they're talking about as opposed to trying to build up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's wild because, you know, these Celtics were, I think you probably could have gotten them at like 75, 100 to 1 yeah. to win this title. And um, it's extremely rare that that'll happen in a basketball season. Like, we're just coming off the Super yeah. Bowl where like the Bengals made it at like ridiculous odds oh. too. And so yeah. we're we're all of a sudden in this space in sports where midway through the season the title picture isn't um determined and that's kind of exciting um the robots like the celtics in this series by the way i saw espn pissing people off with a the percentage, uh, 81% for the Celtics, according to our goppity goopity or whatever. But I've heard I've heard things like that from guys who deal with the math and with the quant models. I've been hearing. I mean, they, so, they, they swept the Nets, and then they beat the defending champion Bucks. Like, it, I, you know, they, they probably are really good, but it's like none of their players have these, um, like, Tatum and Brown don't really have the like a personality that you can play off of and do anything other than talk about their basketball games. Smart is, but he's not quite like superstar enough for it to like cross over and mm. be like that interesting to talk about him. So yeah. like, I mean, Curry and Clay and don't really have like these edges either, but they've already won so much and been part of such dramatic um, theater that we can like, you know, color outside the lines with them. But it's just like really hard to say anything about Tatum or Brown other than the fact that they're good. Oh, but you could if you had one of those classic NBA and NBC intros with a Marv Albert or a Bob Costas. I mean, you could set the scene. That's all they do at NBC with the Olympics is introduce you to people that you didn't know about before. It is possible, but they're not 
so much. It's weird that they don't even like talk about the Duke connection with Tatum. Mm. Yeah, I forget about it. I honestly forget about it for long periods of time. Um, and you know, and then you've got Kevin Durant taking up all the oxygen out of nowhere, as he so often does, uh, tweeting at Warriors fans and Warriors Twitter, uh, mad about, I can't even remember at this point, Draymond was on Colin Cowherd. They, they said like, um, like Steph got double teamed a bunch or something, I, okay. like seven so, times as much as Durant or some like hyperbolic, like. It's so funny. Kind of diminished Durant in the context of like those two titles together. It's so funny to me because I listened to the podcast and I could hear Draymond being as careful as he could to be as complimentary as he could to Kevin Durant, uh, regardless of wherever wherever Colin was uh, tilting the Ouija board in the conversation. And yet the one little thing slips out about he was trying to just defend Steph about the finals MVP thing and say that he was getting double double teamed all the time. And, you know, people don't realize that because they don't watch basketball. That one little slip up, that one little excerpt aggregated, seized upon, resented, leading to arguments. It's just so funny. I I didn't even know where it would come from when I listened to the podcast. When I listened, I just thought, well, you know, nothing controversial there. Uh, It it was kind of interesting to hear Draymond describe Kevin Durant as his brother and everything else. And uh, nope, nope, not good enough. Um, Off to the off to the races and uh hey and then uh, draymond accused Durant of like hey you gotta listen to all the whole thing and Durant's like i listen to it brethren (laughs) (laughs) oh god oh i mean i think people want to like kevin durant i think they want the excuse to like him i think they're looking for it i think well yeah i mean he's so good and He's so online. It's I don't odd. even hate him. He he on national television just said I'm I'm pretty much bad at my job and like accused me of journalistic malpractice. I don't even hate the guy. Do we There's think so- he's one of like the people who self listens to this? That would be incredible. <laughs> Dude, I would not be surprised. As I wrote in my book, uh he he listens to podcasts that are not like the top podcast necessarily and was confronting Connor Letourneau of then the San Francisco Chronicle uh, in the Phoenix Suns road locker room over some aside, he said on the Warriors huddle podcast, which is just done by just two Warriors fans. Um, (laughs) Duran has an open invitation to call in. (laughs) He has an open invitation to call in. I don't think I've said much in the recent, year or so that is i think been too critical of him though i don't think i'm among his biggest criticizers although i could so get where there. where do you see steph curry's legacy if the warriors win but he doesn't win finals MVP? oh way better than kevin durant you know let's try to let's try to tempt him out here <laughs> <laughs> the, um, it, it, it's um it, it's so funny how we talk hypothetically about 
what someone's legacy will be if this outcome happens. It's like, <laughs> I think the legacy like conversation is like so overworn to begin with. And that's if you're talking about I did, it with I did, like the okay. outcome already in the rear view. It's, but like, but you need oh, it a little bit because do you, you don't want to. Do you think that Steph is the tenth best player ever, or is he the thirteenth best player and a total loser? I mean, you need it a little bit, though. Here's the thing: you just want to balance. You just want to balance with it, where because sports bloggers went way too far. They went way too far with this idea that the all narratives are bullshit. And uh, the Cy Young should always go to the guy with just the the best uh, ERA, even if it's on a team that's ERA plus yeah and X Y and and the MVP should go to the guy who just adds the most wins. It doesn't matter if his team is bad, and there shouldn't be legacy talk because it's all small sample size. And well, yes, it, it is small sample size to a degree. It's irrational, but that's what gives the game its juice. I I remember watching. LeBron, when he went to the Miami Heat, and I thought the conversation about him was unfair and too much. And so part of me is watching with the suspense of, oh, this guy's going to get crushed in this very unfair way if he doesn't come through. That makes it fun. The idea that the legacy is on the line makes it fun. I agree with you. It's overdone, but it cannot be purged. It's all just about we just need the right scale of legacy bullshit. That's that's what we need. The right scale of it. Because that unfairness of the small sample size is what keeps us glued to the TV screen. We can't go we can't do away with it. No. Um do we have any are William and Jay real callers? I suspect that they're not. I suspect that they're not as well. And if we get out of here without doing a real caller thing, I think we will, uh, we will, we we will live. Oh man, I'm looking at the comments. Uh, apparently, <laughs> I haven't seen any of the comments. I don't I'm see looking them. at somebody suggested that I should do an article on living like Gabe Kapler for a week. Uh, as a subscriber, uh, Sean needs it. I think that's a pretty good idea right there. And uh, somebody has found the coconut oil article. It's actually on coconut oil generally, and uh, quote. LOL, the masturbation stuff is in the last paragraph. So, yes, we will, we will, uh, I will, you know, figure out more stuff about Gabe Kapler. I think Neely is meaning to call in. Okay, we will try Neely, and then maybe we will get on out of here. Let's, let's try Neely, though. Make him the next caller. Good old Neely. Neely with the blue backdrop, with the blue shirt. Fellow Simsbury High 05 caller. (laughs) Gentlemen. Hey, Gentlemen, can, can you hear me? We can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Hey, guys. Hey, Ryan. Hi. Uh, hey, uh, I, I want to say thank you guys for the work that you do. I just want to say I really enjoy your writing and your, the oh. show. The show is amazing. I, la- I laugh my ass off every time. Oh, thank you. Sorry, I'm out of breath. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that because it's really it's the outlet I have for my takes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think you guys do good work. I'm, I'm, I subscribe to a lot of different Substacks, and I feel like you are like my sports. You know, so substack. you're the opposite of the defund the Substack from last week. <laughs> oh, someone, someone can't call them with that take. Well, one of our favorites. I think he got oh, overloaded. By the, yeah, the, by the heaviness of the news, so he de, he defunded all his Substacks uh, in an oh, impulsive. Dang. 
typical impulsive cowboy move, I would say. He, he withdrew from all the culture wars. So Glenn Greenwald, out. Andrew Sullivan, yeah. out. Jesse Single, out. I haven't even been oh, culture man. warring recently. I feel like I need to get back into it. But, uh, you know, it won't. <laughs> This week, it won't happen. This week is about um, I'm fascinated by parlay agency in the NBA. I feel like they're the next clutch, but even more of a pirate ship. So that's what oh, articles. But uh, but, you know, oh. I'm, I'm going to get back into the culture warring. You know, here's the thing. The culture warring thing is such bullshit, though, because if you agree with the media on a cultural issue, then it's not culture war. But if you disagree that it's culture war. But yes, Neely, you were saying, sir. Oh, you know, I I wanted I had an idea. I think you gentlemen organically stumbled upon a topic from maybe a month ago. You guys were talking about the WNBA. I think a couple episodes in a row, you guys were talking about the WNBA yeah. and sort of pontificating why does the WNBA have this marketing issue? Why why can they not resonate in this woke world that's so su- supportive of of women centric? Uh, ideas why is this league not succeeding Mm. and i think this discussion you were just having about legacy and who is the goat you know that this this issue that's been debated on first take every morning for the past like 15 years that we're all so tired of i really believe that that is like the core of it like that, that is, they're not having those debates about like candace parker well because exactly because they don't there is this gender discomfort of just ruthlessly criticizing a a female athlete in the way that you would do a male athlete which seems to be an impediment it would be kind of fun i would love to watch stephen a smith just completely <laughs> rip in to i don't know alex morgan or whoever i would like to see it play out um and see how it goes but nobody wants to uh, grab that third rail uh, but it is hurting them <laughs> it's it's part of what it's part of what you need i think to get people energized and really into these things uh for a legacy to be on the line there's never a legacy on the line in the WNBA, as far as i know yeah no that's a good point neely i hadn't thought about that but yeah i hey to save the WNBA, we will be mean to the women of the WNBA. we will neg them and i hope they understand (laughs) we're doing it for their own good i hope they understand that I'm, I'm I'm saying like if you follow like NBA Twitter or NFL Twitter or any of these like it's like they're it's like the athletes are like their own Avengers like Marvel kind of comic universe or something like mm-hmm. they all have this belief of like who has different personalities and they fill up different personas with these different characters and that's the way people talk about basketball players and I I feel like we don't have that with WNBA I have no clue. Like I couldn't even name you the top five players. Like I don't know who's the Dennis Rodman, who's the Draymond, Cambridge, Cambridge slash Cambridge, or however you say it, is all of the things. Is is all I know. Uh, That's the one who (laughs) pops up on the uh, the the news feed most recently. And we didn't, we never even got into it. But uh, her uh, adventure in Las Vegas um, is she the Australian one? Yeah. Yes, uh, who I I don't even know where to begin with her situation with the Nigerian team. It was something I'm going to do that dickish thing that people in sports media did. I heard about that before, you know, before it really got out there, folks, you know, but I'm a shitty journalist. I didn't report it, but I want you to know that I knew about it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to um, I'm going to guess that it the reason you knew about it rhymed with Mandrew Nogo. <laughs> 
<laughs> I will never reveal my source on that one. <laughs> it might have even been one of those, you know, you should look into that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's too, in base, that's too inside baseball for me. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you know. I mean, hey, look, look, um, look up old Warriors rosters. The um, and then or just look, no, Warriors rosters look, look with um Australia. But oh, okay, okay, I know who that is. <laughs> just just look in uh, look into who has Colin shows. You'll find the name. I mean, uh. Looking at some of what people are saying now, I'm looking. I'm exploring the chat because we don't totally trust the software on the calling of in. Uh, I'm sad I can't see the chat today. I don't know well, what the issue is. Rick Bishop asked, "Did Kendra Andrews break the code, Ethan?" And he is referring to how uh, Kendra Andrews, reporter. Uh, I guess she's with. Is she with ESPN now? Like yes, Malika. She covers yeah. the Warriors for ESPN. She's Malika's yes. younger sister. Yes, and she was at uh, NBC uh, Bay Area before that and uh, uh, reported that Steph Curry had said, whoop that trick before a game with the Grizzlies, and uh, this went viral. I think they might have they, they gotten blown out by the Grizzlies or lost. I can't remember the order of events. But Andre Godala on his podcast, I enjoy his podcast, by the way, uh with evan turner um but how do you have time in the day you're listening to all these podcasts sorry go ahead i don't listen to really any sports podcasts unless it's for preparation um and i listened to the cowherd draymond one because i was having my old friends slash colleagues on my podcast uh marcus thompson tim kawakami anthony slater so i wanted to uh beef up on that have some stuff to discuss potentially um, at least I think that's why I did that. Yeah. And then <laughs> for this one, I, I wanted to check it out so I could tell Andre what I thought about the podcast and just give some feedback. You know, that was, that's name droppy. Am I, yeah, I was like, going to say, what, what, what was that on the crowd? Oh yeah, that's a name. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, it's, uh, one of my favorites, you know, him and Bogut. I, I hate them. I like them. It, it's, it's all very complicated. All right. So he, did he say that she broke the code on his podcast without saying her name? You can read between the lines and say that she needs to be an outsider now. Oh, um, uh, you, which, you gotta tell me these things when you hear them. Cause then I'll blog them. I post. I figured you knew about this one. This one I didn't out know here. about this until now. I mean, Rick Bishop knew about it. He knew all about it, you know? Um, I'm sorry. I wasn't perusing Andre Guadala's podcast. I missed that one. You missed that one. Well, uh, so um, I feel for her, number one, just because to be at the center of a negative controversy doesn't feel good. Um, I've been there. I've also broken codes accidentally. I, I screwed up. I, um, there was a, a quote um, in an ESPN the Magazine article uh, that was fairly splashy that I didn't want in there and I even told them to take it out. It was in the rough draft. Uh, they said, nah, we like it. I didn't fight hard enough for it, and it became a thing. And then they highlighted it. Oh, yeah, all that, all that stuff. And so um, – I've, I've been there and you know, it's the, the Peter Gooper rule of, uh, there are no rules, but you break them at your peril and you're just always making those determinations. And so I, I understand how somebody can, can say something that they didn't want to say. And I'm fairly, 
indiscreet with my writing because I want to do it for the fans. And I have a scene in my book where I'm in a hookah bar with, with Kevin Durant and he's being very interesting and it's fleet week and he's calling naval officers into the VIP and it's, it's just crazy. And is that a code violation that I wrote that whole scene in that book? Maybe, but by that time uh, there had been a little bit of Kevin Durant, but let's just say if I'm just, if I'm just being a pragmatist, Ryan, as opposed to an ethicist, right? A pragmatist. Yeah, you weren't you weren't getting anything else proprietary from him anyway. So why not no. break the code? No, I, I was not going to get anything proprietary from one Kevin Durant. So there was a little bit of, uh, I suppose, code breakage. Not that I had said I'd never share anything from those scenes. You know, if somebody, if you say that you're not going to yeah, share Yeah, well, it, just, I don't think she violated the code. And they're probably, she's new-ish on the beat. And they want, like, this thing wasn't that serious. But I think it, this is a shot across the bow, so to speak, of like, mm. hey, if you mess up in the future, we're really going to be assholes about it. That would be quite uh, the Iguodala uh, subtlety right there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised about well, that. Well, if he's talking about that in um, publicly, you can bet that they shoot her out privately about it. Yeah, probably. I mean, she's just got to get better at playing the game, man. She's got to find the, the divisions within the locker room well, and start playing like, people well, against each other. But yeah, if... if, if <laughs> If she was um, going to be really savvy about it and they yell at her, she'd be like, look, I'm ESPN. What are you going to do about it? Dude, it gets so crazy. I remember Steph Curry, um, when I was on the beat and had one of those articles that were splashy and brought too much scrutiny, and Steph was asking me for who the sources were. And I, I said, look, you know, I... I, I can't tell you that because nobody would then trust me. And That's said, what I well, always say whenever someone asks. Is like, if I tell you who the source is, then how are you ever going to trust me to yeah. tell me information later? Like, if I give up this source for you. So, no, I never do that. That's what yeah. I always say. And then Steph said, well, a lot of people would trust you more in here if you told us, if you told me. <laughs> It's just, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't go there. It's not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, look, there are no rules. You break them at your peril. It kind of depends on what sort of job you're going to do. I have made the determination that I was never going to be cool enough to base my career off relationships with players. It just wasn't going to happen. I'm not, I'm not cool enough. I've got to play the role of the nerd. We all have our roles. Right. Yes. You know, the, the players would ask me whenever they were looking for an advanced stat, they would go, Ethan, what is it? Like, what are we ranked in defensive efficiency in the fourth quarter? I never had the right answer. They just kept asking me because I was a nerdy <laughs> guy wearing glasses. I, I never had, I never knew. It just didn't matter. But so I made that determination. I think it's hard though, because maybe for Kendra, very reliant on the act on the access. And so you've got to make the determinations in that way and how much does like espn judge you on if you can get access because you would think that that access would be in reverse correlation to how well you actually do the job well but they fetishize 
like that sit down with Steph Curry, you know, even yeah. though he's not going to say anything in it and it's going to be a waste of everybody's five minutes. Like they still want you to get it. So it's like very mismatched incentives. Well, what sucks, you, you totally nailed it. It's mismatched incentives because the news desk stands on your neck. And if you're in that kind of job, they are desperate, at least in my era, for the news story. So if something slips by, that they, what they want for the news story is something controversial. Talking shit is a news story. One guy yes. said something bad about another guy. Yeah, I, conflict's I mean, the holy grail. Yeah, conflict's the holy the holy grail. So they need that, and so you're it get, it puts you in a position of almost hyper vigilance. It's not fun because you're you can't even really now relax now, now imagine that times twenty five beats. <laughs> That's my job. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the thing is that your job won't have is a seven footer screaming at you in person. Um, not with that attitude. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it's um, you know, I'm reading some of the comments uh, about how it wouldn't have been a bigger big issue if they didn't lose. Uh, also, um, <laughs> RC Rick Bishop says made Steph sound like a jag off in the media. Uh, she misreported the story, reported something that wasn't said. Yeah, they said he didn't say. I should say that that that. They right, said well, no one it. believes him. Well, nobody does, but that does happen. People hear things wrong sometimes. I, I don't know. I don't he said know. that. You <laughs> there's probably <laughs> video of it. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, but that would be Steph. Steph has a harder edge in private than in public. That is most people. Well, you he's got to just based on the fact that the op- opponents really don't seem to like him. And um, he, the guy who does the putting the baby to sleep night night upon eliminating the other team uh, and putting the game out of reach in the fourth quarter has a bit of a harder edge. I mean, there's it adds texture to the personality. He's got a real sarcastic edge. He's got a sarcastic wit to him. Um, you know, I have felt roasted by Steph and it hurt. Uh <laughs> <laughs> on occasion um so yeah and that's not surprising for one of the greatest basketball players of his era um but yeah uh anyway um somebody says radio ethan is cooler than journalist ethan i think that is indisputable i think everybody would agree with that one um yeah okay well ryan what do you want to plug as we get on out of here uh this is a good glitchy episode this is my favorite one of my favorite episodes i think we handled glitches. it well yeah. um us and Neely, you know. <laughs> I I'm I'm interviewing Cooper Cup on Friday. I only have fifteen minutes. I'm gonna try my best to get him to say something interesting. I would lean into his crate find a way to draw the football nerddom out of him because the way he went viral was just by describing why he ran a route. And so I, that's what I would be trying to do uh, if I were you and I was fiddling with that Rubik's Cube is how do I get him to get into that? How do I get him to divulge some other thing that's going to make the football I'm going to be like, so hey, do you realize that like if the last two minutes counted, you wouldn't have the Super Bowl MVP? Like we're, we've spent a while talking about what that means for Steph's legacy. Like mm. it would have gone to Aaron Donald if everybody could have voted at the end of the game. I don't know. Mm, get maybe. him to talk about that. Maybe. I, I, I wanted to ask him, and I don't. I think I'm going to be too much of a chicken, but I wanted to just say, do you think that defensive backs 
underestimate you because you're white. Yeah, he'll he'll answer that probably, and he'll probably say yes. I, I think. <laughs> I no, I don't. Think he'll... He, I don't think I'll ask. Maybe I will. Why wouldn't you ask? There's nothing wrong with asking that. That's fine. That's that's nothing nothing wrong. I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear the answer. I think he might say that the whole league underestimated him for that reason. Although his forty time was slow, if memory serves. So I think All that right. might have been. What? So what do you have to plug? Oh, I mean the upcoming article. I mentioned it last call in, but it's taken some time just because you really want to. You really want to get things right um, about as I teased earlier. The guy who is in part running uh, a major agency uh, from his jail cell, um, which his agency does not want people to think is happening. They are, they are adamant that's not what's happening, but also adamant that he's very important to what they do. Um, and I think it's a rather fascinating story. Uh, Parlay Sports, which is representing potentially the number one pick in 2022 and the number one pick in 2023 of the NBA draft. The guy who uh, founded them uh, is the subject of an HBO documentary and he is currently in jail. Um, And uh, I think that they are, there's a lot about the modern NBA that I think you can get from tracking the story of parlay sports agency. So that's what I'm teasing. And in the meantime, after that, after that, Maybe a little more culture war. Get back oh, in. Oh, boy. Like, take Let's the slings. It. Take the arrows, you know? get. I've, I've been checking my swing a bit. You know, it just hasn't seemed right. You know, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking for my pitch is what I'm okay, doing. Okay. Like a coconut oil Gabe Kapler. Uh, <laughs> 3% body fat prime. I'm looking for my pitch. All, All right, right, guys. Good night, have everybody. The, have a good week, everybody. I'll see you next week. See you next week.